Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And even though it's a public holiday, we don't stop sharing Torah ideas and learning Torah together. And therefore, it's a great pleasure to be with you this public holiday, this Wednesday afternoon, the 27th of April, which is also the Hebrew date, the 26th of Nisan. And Nisan, as we know, is a month of miracles, a month of redemption a month of joy for the Jewish people. Uh, we've just been through the wonderful festival of Pesach, which is reliving those events that are at the heart of and the foundation of our faith as a nation, the beginnings, the birth of Klal Yisrael, of the Jewish people. And uh, that's supposed to give us the foundation of our emuna, of our faith for the whole year, um, having experienced Pesach and the Pesach Seder where we emphasize and we relive in the best way we can um, those beginnings of our nation and um, that instills in us in our families and in our children a sense of awe a sense of um, pride of what it means to be a Jew and an understanding a comprehensive understanding of our roots, of where we come from. And as the historians say, if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going, everybody needs to have roots and have a, a clear understanding of who they are, of where their ancestors came from, of what their particular heritage is. And uh, that therefore gives us a clarity as to where we are going and where we fit in to this timeline of history and destiny of the Jewish people. And I think it's important that young Jews, although young people today, you know, don't really want to have these boring facts about their past and they want to embrace the new modern world, which is fair enough. Um, but uh, there does come a time where everybody does look into their family and the makeup of their own nuclear family and, uh, of course, the impact that that has on the psychological state of each individual and of their emotional well-being. And we always like to know where we came from, our parents and our parents' relationship and where our parents met and what our parents' lives were and our grandparents and what their lives were like and how our parents grew up. And then we keep digging a bit deeper and see the world that our grandparents uh, lived in and... Um, how that shaped their lives and the choices they made and where their parents came from, where our great-grandparents came from. And we trace it all the way back. Well, for us Jews in South Africa, primarily, we come from Lita, we come from Lithuania, and that's where our roots are. And at the beginning of the 20th century, at the end of the 19th century, that's when many thousands of Jews left Eastern Europe and went primarily to the United States, many to the UK, and many, of course, to South Africa as well. So that was the beginnings 
of the growth of the South African Jewish community. And uh, so it's a fascinating study, the history of Jews in South Africa, how it was in the early days, how they established themselves, how our community has been through so many uh, tribulations and uh, we've had to live through the years of apartheid um, and there's been mass immigration of South African Jews all over the world and we still have a thriving, vibrant community in South Africa. It has been centralized to uh, the main centers of Jewish life, which are Johannesburg and Cape Town, and the smaller communities have dwindled. And uh, of course, so that's a, a fascinating story in and of itself, South African Jewry. And we still face immigration and the Baruch Hashem, there's lots of Aliyah to Eretz Israel. And then we can trace it back further, not only South African Jewry, but how it was for our ancestors in Lithuania, what their lives were like, how did they end up there in Lithuania, um, what was the situation for them for the many centuries that they were there, um, and uh, which was a, you know, was almost a millennium that they were there, almost nine, about 900 years um, uh, in that region. And uh, then that came to an abrupt end, of course, with the Holocaust. Uh, actually, tonight is Yom HaShoah. Um, tonight and tomorrow are Yom HaShoah, which is the, they're the days that uh, the Holocaust is commemorated um, in Israel and around the world. Although um, in the religious community, the time when we um, focus on and think of the sufferings and calamities of the Jewish people, that's Tisha B'Av. That's the three weeks which climaxes in Tisha B'Av, which is usually in, in July time. Um, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Yom HaShoah was an arbitrary date that was selected by the Knesset, but it's not, it is of no harm to remember the Holocaust and to commemorate what happened in the Holocaust and to pass on to our children the memory of the um, history of our people. Um, not that long ago, you know, 75, 80 years ago, what took place in Europe and how our people went through unbelievable in today's world, to think of it, I mean, although we do see war in our world today, um, in Ukraine, again, there's, you know, the uh, behavior of a ruthless dictator in Putin and his uh, aspirations to extend his empire and to conquer Ukraine and how that's resulted in the suffering of millions of people, the dislocation and the hardship and the, the dying. The, the killing of millions of, 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 of many, sorry, not millions, of many, many people. Um, so we do see that it still exists in our world today, but of course the entire, the, the uh, center of the Jewish world was Europe, and that world was completely destroyed and uh, exterminated the Jews of Europe, which is just beyond imagination and words what happened in the Holocaust and what happened to our ancestors in over there. Um, I, myself, my family, uh, the Sextines, came from a town called Abel, Abelia, in uh, Lithuania. It's in the northeast of the country, very near the Latvian border. Um, it's quite near the, the, the town of Minsk, and that's where Rav Simcha actually came from. We're going to say a vote of Rav Simcha shortly. Um, and uh, the Jews of, of Abel, small little rural town, um, they were farmers, they were very harmless people, and the Einsatzgruppen came in and murdered them in July of 1941, massacred 
they, they marched them out the town and murdered them in the forest just adjacent to the town. And that's where the last surviving Saxtines who were in Lithuania were murdered on the on the 5th of Elul in 1941. So, uh, you know, that's a common story for all South African Jews and what happened to our ancestors. Those that were not fortunate enough to get out before then um, were murdered by the Nazis. Uh, over 90% of the Lithuanian Jewry were murdered, murdered by the Nazi death squads, the Ansatzgruppen, who were elite SS soldiers that were trained. They were elite in terms of the ideology, not in t necessarily in terms of their military capacity. And uh, they were brainwashed and they were fervent followers of the Nazi uh, party and the Nazi worldview. And they were instructed with the task of having no mercy, of having no compassion, of ruthlessly murdering millions of people, which they did. They successfully did that, unfortunately. So it's interesting that coming of Pesach, we do reflect on our past, on our roots, on where we came from. And then we trace it all the way back from Europe, all the way back to um, we were in North Africa. We were in um, we were in Western Europe. Uh, before that, we were in Bavel. Before that, we were in our homeland, Eretz Israel, and we got there via Mitzrayim. The Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt, and we celebrate that on Pesach. So um, it's important to know where we came from in order to know who we are, in order to know where we're going, and that is the great gift that Pesach gives us. It's a gift gift that we should not reject. We should not squander, but we should embrace, and we should um, embrace it ourselves and pass it over to our children and make sure that they know what it means to be a Jew, they know where we come from, and they know what our worldview is, what our understanding of life is, what our understanding of the world is, what Pesach teaches us, that God, the creator of the universe, controls every aspect of creation, recreates the world every moment, and we have a particular mission and role and job in God's world. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. talking about Pesach and how it uh, places roots within our minds, within our hearts as the Jewish people and that is one of the great functions of Pesach. Um, one of the highlights that we went through at the Pesach Seder was the the part when we reach the Dayenu praise of Hashem which is uh, about halfway through the Haggadah and in Dayenu we thank Hashem for the big miracles but we also thank Hashem for the small things. In other words, the nuances that surrounded those miracles. It's compared to Rabbi Wine's Haggadah, he writes, that it's compared to a, um, a person who has an operation. And obviously they're very grateful to the surgeon for the operation being successful. Um, and they therefore thank him for that. But also, if there was good aftercare, and um, that facilitated the recovery of the patient. They won't only thank the surgeon for the operation, but also for the good aftercare, um, because maybe there wasn't good aftercare, and it, after the surgery, it was very difficult and unpleasant and uncomfortable. So if there was good aftercare, they won't only thank for 
the big thing, the surgery, but also for the aftercare as well. So likewise, in Dayenu, we're thanking Hashem for the big miracles, but we also are highlighting and appreciating the smaller things that uh, facilitated and made more comfortable the experience of the Jewish people. And so, for example, we say, um, uh, the, the last parts of Pesach, we're appreciating Kriyas Yamsov, the splitting of the sea. And there, that's the Chag uh, of Shvi, of the seventh day and eighth day of Pesach. Um, so um, that that was just on on um, on uh, on Friday, last Friday and last Shabbos, were the seventh and eighth days of Pesach. And with, that's where that's the Chag of Yamsuf. It's the Chag of celebrating the incredible miracles of the splitting of the sea. And there we say, so in Dayanu we say, if Hashem split the sea, and He didn't bring us through um, on dry land. In other words, Hashem had split the sea and the ground was muddy. So Dayanu would have been good enough. We would have been so grateful to Hashem for splitting the sea on our behalf. But not only did He split the sea, but He actually, Hashem made the ground solid. So when we walked through, we didn't get stuck and caught in the mud. Um, so we emphasizing Dayenu, um, that particular detail. And then we carry on in Dayenu. Hashem brought us through the sea on um, dry land. And He didn't cause our enemies to be drowned in the sea. Dayenu, that would be enough. In other words, if Hashem would have just brought Klal Yisrael through and closed the sea behind them, and the Egyptians therefore couldn't cross the sea, that also would have been enough. But Hashem, in addition to bringing us through and not letting the Egyptians reach us, also wiped out the Egyptians, our enemies, because they would have forever pursued us and um, chased us. So Hashem even destroyed the Egyptians on our behalf. So when Dayenu is really an attitude, it's an attitude of gratitude, teaching us, to see the wonders that Hashem performs on our behalf in the world, training us to look at the kindness of God in our life. And we have to consciously work on that. We have to think about that. We have to train our minds to detect that. And when we have that mindset, so the world is a completely different place. So then our eyes are opened to a whole new reality. That we, instead of thinking, you know, I deserve more, I have rights. In Western society, we have rights and we fight for our rights and we deserve our rights and the state has to provide our rights. The Jewish view and concept of life is looking at our obligations of what our responsibilities are and appreciating those things that we receive. Appreciating the great gift of life that Hashem gives us and we undeservedly are given life. And the miracles, the daily miracles that exist in order for us to have our life, we can hear, wow, what an incredible organ is the ear. I'm sure we could have experts, ENTs, that could speak for hours and hours of the miraculous functioning of sound, of ear, of how, how does that work? That I have this organ that picks up these waves and then I hear, wow, unbelievable, unbelievable reality that, that we can hear and we can see. The eye, the human eye is 
human has two cameras that are more sophisticated than the most advanced cameras in the world. They're just incredible. They can focus near and focus far and translate millions and millions of messages that they send to the brain that trans that that we into the brain is able to interpret as sight and that how is how we see. Whoa, what an incredible gift, you know. I wear glasses, quite strong glasses, and I take off my glasses and the world is very blurred and <laughs> there's not much I can see. Put on the glasses and I can see clearly and the, the gift of sight is just indescribable what a great gift that Hashem gives every single one of us that has sight and we say a bracha every morning blessed are you Hashem our God king of the universe who opened to give sight to the blind he allows us to see and so on we can go on we can spend all our time talking about seeing Hashem's miracles excuse the pun but we need to see we need to open our eyes and train ourselves to focus on Hashem's unbelievable miracles that surround every single one of us each moment of our lives. We take a breath, the gift of breathing, being able to fill our lungs with oxygen, that our lungs function normally. With the COVID pandemic, we it's, it's highlighted for us lay people how the, the lungs function. We don't appreciate the lungs. And uh, the more severe variants of COVID before Omicron, when we had Delta and the other the other variants, so they were much more dangerous. And, and when they went into the lungs, so many, many people died. Thousands and millions of people died from, from the fact that there was this virus that affected the functioning of the lungs, blocked up the bronchioles, of, of the lungs that people can breathe. So we should appreciate this great gift of life and it passes very, very quickly and Hashem performs wonderful kindnesses for us every single day and the role of a Jew in this world is to see those things and to express our appreciation to the creator of the universe. That is one of the primary functions of a Jew in this world to see Hashem's kindness and to thank Hashem for that kindness. Every single day, we daven three times a day, where we're expressing our appreciation to Hashem for life and for this magnificent, exquisite world that we live in. We say brachas every time we eat, we say a blessing to thank Hashem for the food that we are eating. I'm about to drink a glass of water, I say a brocha on that glass of water. There you can hear me drinking the water. Thank you, Hashem. Everything that was created for your glory. We um, finished eating. We thank Hashem for the food that we've eaten. Uh, we bench. We say, if we have bread, we bench. Otherwise, we say, we thank, we train ourselves. The mindset of a Jew is to be in a space, a headspace, where we don't take anything for granted and we thank Hashem for all the wonders that exist in our life every single moment of every single day. A person who lives like that has a different existence, has a different life, has a different, and, and the level of satisfaction that that brings, the tranquility that it provides a person, because you, there are a number of reasons for that, psychological reasons for that. One of them is, is that you connecting to eternity when we live in a world that's a vacuum, when the secular view of life 
is it's all accidental, it's all coincidental, it's all the result of chance and random. There's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no function. We Each individual doesn't have value because you're just another number. And so therefore the world is a very depressing place. It's a very dark place. It's a place which is, is just really, you know, there's, there's no great reason to live based on that understanding. But that's false. That's not accurate. The truth is that there is a creator. There has to be a creator. I'm, I'm speaking to you. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a Skype call through which we are uh, broadcasting. So I'm sitting in my study and I'm speaking to my HP laptop computer. And to say this laptop computer, which is a wonderful machine, um, it's an R7. It does one, many, many amazing simultaneous functions. Um, but to say this computer, this advanced computer is an accident is by chance. It just came out of, of random um, forces that produced it is, is ludicrous, is ridiculous. That's madness. To say such a thing is insanity. You know, a, a person's sanity will be seriously questioned if that is their understanding. But to say that this world was a chance and accident, so we don't apply the same logic to the, the source of all life and the miracle of human existence and of life in this world. So it just doesn't make any sense. It, it, it goes against basic logic. And the statistical probability, the scientists themselves, the mathematicians will tell you, the statistical probability of this world happening and formed in this way by chance is so unlikely. It's a massive figure of, of how unlikely and random that is, how, how, how uh, little chance there is of that happening. It's a much greater chance that there was a, a, a creator with purpose and with wisdom and with design created this world. So it, it, it's just much more logical and sensible to understand the world that way. And there are many, many empirical proofs that we can show that that is the case. That God once in the history of the world revealed himself to all humanity. And that was, we said that's what Pesach is. We celebrate that in Pesach, where God showed very clearly, very powerfully, his control of every aspect of life and of nature and of the world. And that God um, cares about individuals and cares about the plight and suffering of individuals. We saw that. The Ramban says it happened once in history, and that's why we constantly are mentioning those events, um, because that's where we draw our faith from, because that's what happened um, 3,333 years ago, that God redeemed the Jewish people from um, the land of Egypt. So with, therefore, there's clearly a God, there's a creator, and that creator creators for a reason. And our function in this world is to see the creator and to appreciate the kindness of the creator. That's what we're doing here. It's one of the main purposes of our existence is to see God, to appreciate God's kindness, to thank God for all that we um, enjoy in this magnificent world. And when we do that, that brings us a tremendous sense of, of uh, connection to eternity. In other words, there's a deep spiritual fulfillment because we feel like we have a life of meaning and purpose, which uh, is the source of all happiness and all tranquility. We feel like we know who we are, feel like we know what we're doing. We feel like we know where we're going as opposed to being completely lost and living in this random dark universe without meaning or purpose. And it uh, gives us a, a sense of accomplishment when we develop and grow spiritually and we have a relationship with God 
and we are able to connect with God in a deeper way. Um, so that brings us a beautiful sense of of what we call in Hebrew menuchas anefesh, of self-satisfaction, of accomplishment, of it fills up the soul with a with a feeling of purpose, which is very very precious and valuable, and that's in contrast with. Um, living in a random world with no existence, no understanding for the meaning and purpose of life, and that leads a person to um, a sense of self-doubt, low self-esteem. There's no particular purpose for my existence, and depression because this world can be a very dark, sad, um, depressing place. So, I'm, you know that, and therefore we see, you know, very, very large numbers of depression in the world and uh, abuse, substance abuse, because we turn to the substances to try and fill that emptiness and that void and that sadness inside. Um, but not only that, having an a belief in God also encourages us to work on ourselves and to work on our relationships with our fellow human beings, to get married, to have families, to be able to successfully navigate a marriage which is not a simple thing. It requires a lot of work, requires a lot of humility. It requires a person to be able to um, admit to their own deficiencies and try and improve those areas and forces a person to try and, and see another and live with a cognizance of the needs of another, which is a massive growth for a human being because we are all very selfish creatures. Our, our default position is one of tremendous self-centeredness and narcissism. And only with a conscious effort to break out of our selfish world and to try and include another in our headspace, in our world, and live and act in a way that we care for the other and we help the other and we support the other and we um, are present when the other needs us, both physically and emotionally, so that's a tremendous growth for a human being. And when we're able to achieve that and build a, a, a relationship, a healthy relationship of getting married, of a man and woman getting married, as is the natural state for a human being to be, so then we can build a family and have children, which is another one of the unbelievable, indescribable miracles that exist in this world. Um, I uh, This week, a, a very special man uh, Dr. Ronnie Klein passed away, passed away on Pesach, and the funeral was on, on Monday. And uh, he was a legendary gynecologist who delivered, not hundreds or thousands, but tens of thousands of babies. And I once asked him how many babies he, he delivered. He said to me, "I don't know," but he said every single one was precious, and every single one was a miracle. And the the miracle of childbirth is just you know. It's indescribable, it's unbelievable that this creature that came from um, the seed of a man and a woman and it grows inside the womb and it develops into a human being and it has the DNA of, of the parents and now it, it, it leaves that nurturing environment of the womb and now comes into this world and its lungs now are reversed and it can now breathe. Unbelievable, just spectacular, the miracle of childbirth. So when we understand that life is about developing ourselves, developing a relationship with the Creator, being able to have healthy relationships with another, 
uh, building a family and bringing a new generation into this world. So, so these are unbelievable, um, you know, in, in the past, one didn't need to talk about these things because they were so obvious. Like everybody knew that that's what life was about and there was a normal um, phases that a human being goes through and achievements in their life. But in today's world, the world's gone absolutely nuts. The world is just, you know, completely lost and off the rails. And it's not so obvious anymore that you get married. And it's not so obvious anymore what your gender is. And it's not so obvious anymore to have children. But these things are provide a person with great purpose and meaning and root us into this world and give us a sense of achievement, of accomplishment, of a future, of um, of a direction of a life that's well lived and 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 has purpose and has continuity and has future generations it's these are all very important valuable things that come from an understanding of a god and a purpose and our role is to thank god and to say dayenu to appreciate all the miracles god does for us and to play our part in god's world is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about Pesach, tracing our roots, know where we've come from, um, having a worldview of Dayenu, seeing God's miracles that surround us. And living a life of awareness of our responsibilities, of our mission as Jews in the world, and going through and, and living a life of meaning and purpose as a result of that, um, which requires, which encourages us to get married, to have children, to develop ourselves spiritually, and to build a healthy relationship with God and healthy relationships with our fellow human beings. And the Torah gives us a beautiful framework and overview how to do that. So with regards to our relationship with God, we need to have a Dayenu uh, approach, which means that we need to um, uh, see the miracles and thank God for those miracles, as we do in Dayenu, and as we should do every single day of our lives, many, many times every day. We daven three times a day. We say brochas throughout the day. We go to the bathroom and say Asher Yatsar, which is such a beautiful brocha in order to do that. But when it comes to looking at our own spiritual growth, we don't say Dayenu. We have to keep going. And that's the difference between Avraham, Avinu, and Noyach. Noyach, he kind of said Dayenu to his own spiritual career. After he came out of the out of the ark, out of the Teva, so he was um, not so inspired anymore. He thought, okay, I've done my thing. I put in my hard work. I built the ark, as God told me. Um, me and my family, we survived the terrible flood, the deluge that destroyed the world. And now now I can chill. Now I can have a good time. Now I can sit back and relax a little bit. That was Noach's attitude. And we know he, uh, he uh, planted a vineyard and he drank and it wasn't good. It didn't, uh, didn't lead to good things for Noach, having that attitude. Avraham Avinu, in contrast, and we are all B'nai Avraham, Avraham Avinu was constantly working, constantly building, constantly growing. He had 10 tests, and he plows through all 10 of them, and he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. He keeps building. He understands that 
he has worked out Abraham, that there must be a God, that who created all of this, this exquisite world we live in, and he searched and searched until he found God, until he was able to have a relationship with God. And he then dedicated his life together with his beloved wife, Sarah, and they tried their, their best with every moment they existed to bring the light of God into the world, to teach the world about monotheism, to teach the world about God. And they were very, very successful at doing that. And they, from them came the Jewish people. And we are all descendants of Abraham and Sarah. And therefore, our attitude in our lives with regards to our spiritual career, you know, like you look at a good businessman, a good businessman, he's not happy with his 10 million or 100 million or billion. He keeps going. Or, or good businesswoman, they, they keep pushing. They, they keep building. And that's how our approach should be spiritually, is that we're not satisfied with, you know, what we've achieved, and we keep going, and we do the ultimate, the best we possibly can, um, as much as we can, with our short time here in this world, because that is our eternity. That's what we are left with when we leave this world. And we all leave this world. Every single one of us leaves this world. And when we get to the other side, which is a spiritual world, a world of souls, our body goes back to the ground from where it came. And, the, and our soul moves on to its next phase. And the soul is confronted with the Melech Malchem Lachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with the creator of the universe. And we have to uh, show we have to answer for the life that we led, the choices that we made, the goods we produced in our life. Did we produce spiritual dividends? Did we actually invest in ourselves spiritually? Or were we completely taken up with this material, physical, finite, single-dimensional existence of this world? And uh, what, what we've built spiritually is what we have for eternity, what Maharaj Shiva would call the real estate. The real estate is the spiritual investments that we made in our lives. Or have we squandered this incredible opportunity to generate an eternity for ourselves and to build ourselves spiritually and to have something waiting for us on the other side? You know, we, we are very conscious of, of earning a living and of our retirement and of making sure that we are looked after in our retirement. Um, but we should be equally as concerned about our retirement from life, our leaving of this world, of the journey of the soul. And will the soul have anything on the other side? Do we have any investments at all that are waiting for us when we leave this world, in the world of eternity? If we don't, so it's going to be a very shocking, very sad, very disappointing experience because we'll, the, the, the suffering of the next world our sages teach us, is the knowledge that of what we could have done and what we didn't do, is the knowledge of the lost potential. And we all know that's very painful. You know, you were somebody, let's say you were somebody in school or you, um, I used to play soccer, so it's a good example for me, a guy you played soccer with and you were both on the same level. And then he just went on to great hearts and became a professional and, and a, an incredible player and you like, you know, didn't achieve that. So you think, I could have done that. If I would have applied myself, I could have done it. I could have achieved those things. So spiritually speaking, we're going to see others that were like us, and they did great things spiritually. And we'll see what we did with ourselves spiritually 
that we missed it. We missed the boat. We missed the point of life. We we didn't invest in the right things, our time and our energy and our focus. And that's a great sadness and a great pain for us. So um, that is part of what our worldview needs to be. We say dayenu when we see what Hashem does for us, but we have the attitude of Avraham um, that we are B'nai Avraham and B'nai Sarah and we try and achieve as much as we can in our growth, in our journey, in our spiritual existence here um, while we have life in this world. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Let's end off with a very interesting idea about um, the time period we're in now, which is called Sphira. Sphira sa Omer. So now we are counting the Omer. We, are, we count um, from second day Pesach. We count all the way 49 days until Shavuos, until the festival of Shavuos, um, because in the temple they would bring a Omer offering, a barley offering on second day Pesach, and they would count the days up until Shavuos, until we receive the Torah. The Torah tells us in Pashas Emor, You must count from the day after Shabbos, from the day you brought the Omer for this Omer offering, it should be seven complete weeks, and then you'll count the fifth year day, that will be um and you should then bring a new mincha offering, which is we know is a um, is a wheat offering and not a barley offering, which is at the end of the whole process. So, part of the understanding of Sphira is that Sphira sa Omer, and then we counting. So last night we counted eleven. Today is the eleventh day of the Omer, um, and we're supposed to count every single day. The idea of the Omer is that we are supposed to be emphasizing the growth. Of a human being. So the big question that's asked, remember I mentioned Rav Meir Simcha, who lived in a town of Minsk, which is near the town where my family comes from, near Abelia, um, in Lithuania. Minsk was usually in in, uh, uh, in Latvia, just across the border, although the borders moved. Um, so Rav Meir Simcha to Vinsk, so he asks Akasha on this Pasuk. The Pasuk says, you should count from the day after Shabbos. We know our sages tell us, the oral law tells us, that's referring to Pesach. Um, and there was a big dispute between the Tzadokim and the Prushim, between those that followed the oral tradition, those that rejected the oral tradition, those who rejected the oral tradition said it's speaking about Shabbos, the first Shabbos of the Pesach, and those that follow the oral tradition say, no, this is speaking about Pesach. So the question says, the Meshachochma, is why is Pesach referred to as Shabbos in this context, in the context of Sphira? And he gives a very beautiful answer. He says that because... There's a difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov. Shabbos comes from above. Shabbos is Mina Shemaim. Shabbos is what Hashem uh, programmed into the Bria, into creation. We have seven days, and Shabbos comes, whether you're ready or not, whether you like it or not. So there is Shabbos Kodesh, the holy day of Shabbos, which is just the most awesome day, and it uh, frames the whole week and gives us um, direction and a spiritual contact to our lives and to our homes, to our families. Um, so Shabbos comes no matter what. It's, it's programmed into the Bria. Yom Tov, on the other hand, 
is determined by the base din. Yom Tov, in, in the times when we had a temple, so there would be Adim, there would be witnesses, they would see the new moon, they would come to the base of Mikdash and, and to the Sanhedrin, and they would testify about the moon that they saw, and that day then would be declared Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the new month. And Yom Tov would then fall based on the testimony of human beings on what the Adim saw. So Yom Tov comes from us, and Shabbos comes from Hashem. In, in the Kabbalistic writings, they call it a Hisarusa de la Eila, or Hisarusa de la Tata. If it's a, a, an awakening from above, or awakening from below. Shabbos comes from above, Yom Tov comes from below. So why is Pesach over here referred to as Shabbos? We're in the Yom Tov, because Pesach also was a gift. Pesach also came from above. Pesach was a free gift from Hashem. Hashem redeemed the Jewish people. Hashem did everything. Like Shabbos, Hashem does everything. So therefore, in this context, Pesach is referred to as Shabbos, the Yom Tov where Hashem did everything, as opposed to the other Yom Tov which we do it. Um, so the Torah is telling us that immediately after that free gift that Hashem gave you, which is Pesach, you need to start counting. Then you need to start working. Life is not always a handout and a free gift. We as human beings have a lot of work to do. And we have a role to perform in this world. And each day of the sphere represents a different meta, a different characteristic of a human being that we're supposed to work on. And until we've worked on what the, the 48 different characteristics, the 48 ways of acquiring the Torah, and then the last day we do Chazorah, we do revision of all the others, and then we're ready to receive the Torah. But it's telling us that Hashem gives us a start. Hashem gives us, it's like a relationship. Hashem gives us the romance, which is the first days where everybody's head is spinning and they, you know, swept off their feet. But that dies out. That, that's a gift from above. That's not reality. That fades. And the reality of a relationship is doing hard work, is actually learning to care for the other, learning to help the other, learning to be there for the other, which is really hard work. If we do the hard work, then we can build something precious and something beautiful and something that has got tremendous value um, and power. So that's the life of a human being. Hashem gave us the redemption spiritually. We need to build us, and then we can get to Shavuos where we receive the Torah through our own efforts rather than through the free gift of Hashem. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.